Let's read together God's word, John chapter 20, and we're going to read together verses 1 through to 10. So if you have your Bible there, find the place, John chapter 20, and we'll read from verse 1 through to 10. The words will come up on the screen for all who are online, and we pray that the Lord will bless us even as we have fellowship together. John chapter 20, verse 1. Let's hear the word of God. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is found in John chapter 20, verse 7. And it reads as follows. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. My theme this this evening is the significance of the napkin. Now the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 7, teaches us that a particular napkin was placed over the face of the Lord Jesus when his body lay in the garden tomb. However, during the event of the resurrection, it was not lying with the other grave clothes, but as the Bible says, note the wording, was wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, that very first Easter Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and immediately she ran and found Simon, Peter, and John. He was that other disciple whom Jesus loved, and exclaimed to them, listen to what she says. She says, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter and John ran to the garden tomb to see for themselves. John outran Peter, probably younger, probably a bit fitter, uh, and uh, he arrived first. And when he came to the sepulchre, he stood outside the door, stooping down, looking in, and he saw the linen clothes lying, but he didn't go in. 
When Simon Peter arrived, he immediately brushed past John, went in and noticed the grave clothes lying. And this is what we're told that Peter saw and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And then we read, then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, that was John, he saw and believed. Now a question for us tonight is this, is the napkin significant? I believe the answer is yes. Is it important? I believe the answer is yes. Another question is this, is it true? Because if you Google this, there's some people on the internet say that this story is not true. And there's nothing significant about the napkin. Nothing of importance here. It's like shrugging your shoulders and saying, so what? You see, it's true because this is what the Bible says happened. This is what the Bible says took place in relation to the resurrection of Christ. Look at the text again. Let me read it for the third time. And the napkin. Not only did Peter see the linen clothes lie, but here's the emphasis. And the napkin that was about its head. What was significant about it? Not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, is that significant to the story of the resurrection and the Easter message? And the answer is yes. And that's what we're going to think about tonight. I've actually changed the message from this morning because I only got this this morning. A certain lady said to me early in the morning, what about the napkin? And the minute that was said, because I had been doubting in my mind about the message that I had planned to preach and I wasn't sure, and I was looking to the Lord for guidance, and the moment that came, what about the napkin? I knew straight away that was the message for tonight. I had never preached on it before. I don't think very few have. We're thinking about the significance of the napkin. I want you to think, first of all, of the picture of the napkin. You see, the word napkin is used three times in the New Testament. It's used in Luke chapter 19 and the verse 20. And this is what the Word of God says, Luke 19 and verse 20. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I've kept laid up in a napkin. That's the parable of the talents. There's the first usage. And then if you turn to John chapter 11, verse 44, and we'll come back to this. Remember the Lord Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus that had been dead for four days, and with a loud voice cried, Lazarus came forth. And we read in John 11, verse 44, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. And the third reference is John 20, verse 7. Three times in the authorized version we read this word, the napkin. 
Now, what is the napkin? You see, when we think of a napkin, we are thinking of a table napkin. And while there may be some correlation to the table napkin, the napkin referred to here in John 20, verse 7, John 11 and 44, and most likely Luke 19 and 20, is not a table napkin that we have. Table napkins weren't really introduced to the 13th or 14th century. The napkin was actually a burial cloth. Or if you think of a, a smallish um, face towel, we, we have some of them. Um, that's about the picture. You see, in the Bible, the Lord Jesus often talked in parabolic language of the master-servant relationships. If you think of a big house, think of the master of the house, think of the servant, well, he's out working. Uh, there's a reference to one out plowing in the field all day. Luke 17, verses 7 through to 10. He comes in, he's tired, he's maybe hungry, he's thinking, you know what, I'd love to put my feet up. But what does the master of the house expect him to do? The master of the house expects him not only to prepare him a meal, but to serve that meal to him. And what did that involve? It involved setting the table, probably perfectly, and then waiting on the master eating his meal and finishing it so the servant could clear up and then the servant could eat himself and then the servant could go to bed. And in those days, while they may not have had table napkins, the master of the house would have been dipping his fingers in bread and in oil and, and in fish. And while he was sitting uh, eating at the table, then the um, Cloth would have been used to uh, dry the hands, having dipped them in the water. If you could draw a parallel with our day, think of a fancy restaurant, a nice steakhouse when they open. Steak would be lovely, wouldn't it? Uh, or maybe you'd prefer salmon and prawns and some nice chips. That would be one of my favorites. And uh, when you sit at the table in one of these fancy restaurants, there's usually a napkin. Um, and if you're in a very posh place, what does the waiter do? He comes when you sit down and he lifts the napkin off the table and he sets it on your lap. And you see, if you were in that fancy restaurant, let's say you were having your meal, steak or salmon and uh, prawns and chips, and let, let's say you got a telephone call. Or let's say you had some of the children with you and they wanted to go to the toilet or the restroom. Or, or, or perhaps somebody wanted to speak to you, uh, some private matter. Well, you would leave the table and most of the times we would take our napkin and we would just scrunch it up and put it on the table at the side of the plate. Um, in very fancy posh restaurants the moment you leave the table and would do that that would be an indicating to the waiter that you were finished and you would come back and everything would be cleared up and there'd be nothing left but if you folded the napkin in two or in four and set it at the side of your plate in these very posh places the waiter would not touch your uh, meal setting why because he would know that that's an indication that you are not finished and you're saying, I'll be back. 
I'm going to take this phone call or I'm taking the child to the restroom or I've got to deal with this very important matter but I'm not finished my meal and I will be back. And you see, that's the message that's coming out here. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. That's the picture of the napkin. It was Jewish custom that when a person died, that they immediately upon death began to wrap that body in strips of cloth. Now we dress them in a shroud and put them in a coffin or in your best suit or your wedding dress. But in the land of Israel, in the first century, they wrapped the dead body in strips of cloth, and they added oil and spices to anoint the body to help to preserve the body. And if you think, children, of the picture of a mummy, a body being mummified, that's as near a picture as I can give you. You see, Lazarus, his body was mummified. Whenever Lazarus came out of the tomb, Lazarus was coming out probably like this here. That's the way it was, because his body had been mummified. That is, it had been wrapped up with cloth and covered with these spices and oils, and then they had solidified and, and, and become crystallized. And, and the Lord Jesus said, loose him and let him go. So they had to start at a certain point and unwrap the cloth. Whenever the Lord Jesus was born, what was the first cloth that he was wrapped in? The answer is swaddling clothes. What were the swaddling clothes? They were clothes that were used to embalm the dead. The first cloth that touched the eternal word was the shroud of death. What gifts was he presented, boys and girls? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And myrrh wasn't a thing to look in. It was a space that was used to embalm the dead bodies. And here's the Lord Jesus, and he's in the tomb. And, and, and his body, it has strips of cloth all wrapped around it. And they've already begun to solidify and crystallize almost until they've been a hard shell. And it's my belief that when it says the linen cloth's lying, that the Lord Jesus had actually just risen right out of that crystallized, solidified shell. That's what the strips of cloth were. That's what the linen clothes were. He had just passed through it. But not only were there linen cloths, but there was a napkin about his head. And we're told it was lying separately in a place by itself, just where the head of Christ had been. Now, notice the words carefully. It doesn't say the napkin lay in a place by itself. That would have been true. If you do a contrast, it was not lying with the other great clothes. And you would expect the bodily resurrection of Christ uh, to cause that body rise up just out of the grave, grave clothes and the linen clothes would lie by itself and then you'd expect the napkin that was about his head just also to be lying by itself in a single piece but the bible doesn't say that the napkin was lying in a place by itself does it say that no it doesn't look, look at verse 20 it actually uses two words but wrapped together in a place by itself what does that mean? 
Does it not mean as if the Lord Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, took the time to fold the napkin? Either doubly or to fold it in four. To, to fold it up neatly. And as I've already said, by way of the picture, he was given out a particular message. You see, some people believe that when they read of the napkin in the Bible, that the napkin is actually the shroud of Turin. Turin is a city in Italy, and it's supposed there that the burial cloth uh, that was around Jesus' head, that that's where it is located, and it's been kept safe in a Roman Catholic church. And thousands, of course, flock to see this relic. They pray to it. They pay money to see it. And they do penance before it. And this shroud supposedly has a pierced side to it. It has got supposedly the blood of Christ on it. It supposedly has the imprint of a human face. It's got the imprint of long hair and the imprints of a beard. And this relic, of course, on top of that is adored and worshipped. Now, the question for the Christian church is this. Is the Shroud of Turin the actual burial cloth of the Lord Jesus? Is it this napkin that's referred to in John 20, verse 7? And I want to make it emphatically clear that it's not. The answer is no. This is a medieval relic. This is a, a fraudulent deception. Uh, that they're worshipping a cloth and not worshipping Christ. Because what is significant in the Shroud of Turin is that it's got a pierced side. It's got blood on it. It's got the imprint of a human face, long hair and a beard. But it doesn't fit with the biblical narrative. It doesn't fit with biblical and historical support. See, I've already told you in the AV, three references to the napkin, but it's not a table napkin. Don't think of it as a table napkin. It's a piece of cloth for wrapping the dead in. And it wrapped the head of Christ. And then it was folded together by itself or wrapped together. In other words, it was not for table use. It was like a small towel to, to wipe the sweat from your face. Or, or uh, a burying cloth over your face. Did the Lord Jesus have long hair? I don't believe he had. Any coins or pictures of first century Palestine, especially Roman governors, not one of them had long hair. Why? For it's not natural for a man to have long hair. First Corinthians 14, or 11 verse 14. Don't we read when the Lord Jesus was being crucified that they pulled the hair from his face? That's a reference to its beard pulled out by the roots. Doesn't that what it say in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah 50, and I believe it's the verse 5 and 6. And what do we read there? Let, let's hear the word of God. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, never turned away back. And I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. He was only in the tomb three days. His body didn't see corruption, the Bible says. So the imprint of his face on a cloth in three days would have been an impossibility because he wasn't there for a long time to decompose. In fact, his body didn't see corruption. So, so the significance of the Shroud of Turin doesn't fit the biblical narrative. The, the, the size doesn't even fit. Lazarus, we're told, had a napkin about his head. John 11, verse 44. And you see, the sad thing is that this napkin has led many away from Christ. 
The shroud of Turin has led many away from Christ to do with relics and signs and wonders and dreams. And even the cross in the pocket, we must never forget that not to be detracted from Christ and his cross work when we behold it by faith. That's a picture of the napkin. Notice very second, secondly and very quickly, I want you to think about the proclamation of the napkin. You see, the napkin wrapped together by itself, what's it saying? What's it proclaiming? It's proclaiming two things. It's proclaiming that the Lord Jesus truly died. It's proclaiming the work of redemption. Romans 5 verse 8. And what does the Bible tell us? But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to his grace. You see, the napkin is not a table napkin, as I've said. It's a death cloth to cover the face. And it's only ever used on a dead person. And therefore, the Lord Jesus had to be truly dead. And on Easter, Jesus Christ died. And what way did he die? He died as a substitute. He took my place and yours. He died of a surety. He, he paid the debt to the broken law. He died as a sacrifice once and for all. He died as a sin bearer, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our uh, iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with a stripe you were He was our sin offering. He bore the wrath of God. He was made to be sin for us, that he might become our Savior. And that's why he died. And that's the significance and the importance that we understand because it's, it's rooted into the redemptive work of Christ, redemption that stands complete and finished and accomplished and accepted. It also proclaims that the Lord Jesus is truly alive. If you think of the resurrection, the enemies didn't remove his body. Isn't it alleged that they stole the body? Some grave robber came along. Why didn't they just lift the body of Christ in that cocooned, crystallized, solidified shell and go out the door with it? Why leave the linen clothes lie by themselves? Who would trouble to wrap together the napkin if they were stealing the body? As I've said, why didn't they just take the whole body, grave clothes and all? It would have been soft enough to, to carry out the door. You see, here's proof that the Lord Jesus, I believe, had power over death. He was totally different from Lazarus. John eleven forty four. when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he had the napkin still about his face. He had no power to remove it himself. But when the Lord Jesus came out of the tomb, he not only was raised out of that cocooned, mummified shell that wrapped his body, but he even took time to wrap together the napkin. He was saying that he is complete and absolute sovereign power over death. And not only did it proclaim that the Lord Jesus truly died and was truly alive, but it also proclaimed that the Lord Jesus will truly return. So you're getting redemption, you're getting resurrection, you're getting return here. And there's credence in that, in the words wrapped together. What does that mean? It means a burial cloth that's folded. And what was it saying if you go back to the table? And I know there's no tradition except one in um, the Mishnah that mentions a, a tablecloth for wiping your hands. There's only one reference in Jewish tradition, but at least there's one. If this is a burial cloth, and I believe that's what it is, it's a burial cloth that's folded. And what's it saying? It's saying, I will return. Let me share this with you. In the Republic of the Philippines, 
a group of 7,107 islands in the Western Pacific Ocean. The land of the Philippines has often been associated with the United States of America. The main island is Luzon, and there's a road out of uh, the capital city called Manila, and it's called the MacArthur Highway. And it's in memory of the American general, Douglas MacArthur. And in recognition of all that he did to defend the Philippine uh, Islands and its people in World War II. In 1942, he was driven out of the island by the Japanese. He reached Terwawi in southern Australia. And there he made a famous statement. He directed that statement to the Filipino people. And this is what he said. Listen to me carefully. I came out of Bataan. And I shall return. Um, Bataan was a region in the um, Philippines, and he was promising that he would return uh, and that he would one day come back uh, to liberate that people. He overcame many difficulties, but General Dublin Douglas MacArthur kept his word on the 20th of October 1944. He waited ashore at Leyte Gulf in eastern Philippines. And this is what he said, and I quote again, People of the Philippines, I have returned by the grace of Almighty God. You see, General Douglas MacArthur kept his word. I will return again. And wrapped together in a place by itself was sending out a message to Peter, to John. Not only a message about redemption and a message about bodily resurrection from the dead, but a message about his personal visible return. Remember in the eve of the crucifixion what he said to his disciples in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Here's a promise that he would keep. I will return. And I see a sign here in this folded, wrapped-together napkin. I'll be back. I'll return. And here's a fact. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth. And that's one of the most repeated promises in all of the Bible. Do you know there's 1,854 references to the second coming of Christ in the New Testament? That's one out of every 37 references in the Bible. See, we can't make light of it. We wait and we watch for the coming of Christ. There's the proclamation of the napkin. Now, one final thing. The purpose of the napkin. Not only the picture, not only the proclamation, threefold, but think of the purpose. Whenever we think of that proclamation wrapped together in a place by itself, and the master saying, My work is not done yet, my work is not finished, I'll be back, I will return. Is that not a a, a, a comfort is, is, is that not a message that the Lord is saying that he cares for his people you see in a true sense the work of Christ is finished when he 
cried it is finished. He secured eternal redemption for his people. He accomplished that work. That work is accepted. That work has been applied. That's the past work of Christ. It's, it is finished, not I am finished, John 19 and 30. But there's a sense where there's a, a, a present ongoing work of Christ in the application of redemption. Because Christ is still a prophet to teach and tell us the way of salvation. Christ is still a priest, the, 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 the one priest who made a once and for all sacrifice for sin. We, we believe the words, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And is he still not king of kings and lord of lords? Does he not rule and reign in the hearts and lives of his people? See, the Lord Jesus was saying when he wrapped together the napkin by itself that he still had a work on earth to do. Who was his first convert on the cross? It was the dying thief. Remember he prayed, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said, today shall thou be with me in paradise. And whenever he was dying, there was another convert, the, the centurion. He said, truly, whenever the soldier plunged the spear in the aside, and out came water and blood, according to Matthew 27 and verse 60, truly, this was the Son of God. He came a believer. Um, we, we, we think about John here. It says, then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher. And he saw, what did he see? He saw the linen clothes lie and the napkin. And he got the message. He's truly dead. He's truly alive. He's truly coming back. And he believed that with all his heart. And of course, we could think about the Apostle Paul in the road to Damascus. He saw and spoke with the risen Christ and was truly converted. You see, from the cross work of Christ, there's a message that goes out. Precious souls need to hear the gospel. Precious souls who are living and dying in sin. Aren't you thankful tonight that God's house is open? Aren't you thankful that we're making an honest attempt to reach unconverted souls with the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Aren't you thankful tonight that you're saved, that you're born of the Spirit, that you're found in Christ, that your sins are forgiven and under the blood? Are you not heartbroken tonight over those who are out of Christ and have no peace with God? You know, the Bible says, as I finish, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a famous writer one time, his name was H.G. Wells. He retired when he was 65. And you know what he said when he retired? I'm still searching for peace. Isn't that, isn't that telling? A man who had it all, a great writer. A man who was very much in demand as a speaker. People wanted to be in his company. A, a, a man that had made a name for himself. A man that had loads of money. A man who was popular in a big house. As I said, he was sought after. And yet one thing he didn't have. He didn't have inner peace in his heart and life. He longed for that. He, 65, and I'm still searching for peace at 65. Aren't many people like him today? I wonder, are you one of them? I wonder if you're listening to me, are you one of them right now? That you're searching for lasting peace and you haven't found it. Isn't the subject of peace much in the news? Peace talks, peace agreement, peace treaties, peace envoys, peacekeeping forces, peacekeeping initiatives. This topic is so much in the news. It's often talked about. It's even sought after. But the world knows very little about true peace. In fact, the world knows nothing of true peace. Because it doesn't know the source of peace. It doesn't know the prince of peace. 
They're searching for peace in their own places. How many young people want peace and inner satisfaction, real joy and happiness? Drink. Drinking themselves into stupid drugs. All the pleasure crazes of this age. And where has it led many young people to? It's life without God. Where they've forgotten him, where they've forsaken him. And, and is any wonder many of them, and I say this regrettably and sadly, they're brought to the point where, where they want to take their own life. And, and life has no meaning or no purpose, so, so I'd be better off not here. And yet, the, here's the Bible. And what does the Bible say? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this a lovely message as I finish tonight? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me ask you tonight as we finish, are you saved? Do you know Christ? Have you got peace with God? Do you know the peace of God? Because this is one of life's greatest blessings in the journey. And the master tonight, the good shepherd, is seeking you as a lost sheep. And he calls you to come. He's calling your name. And he wants you to repent. And he wants you to receive him. And he wants you to know him in a real deep and intimate way. Why? Because he is an ongoing work. I'm come to seek and to see of that which is lost. And on his cross, he started with the dying thief. And from that cross has flowed a multitude of blessing where people have been brought even to peace with God through faith in Christ. And yet there's many others haven't. And there's the purpose of the folded napkin. My work's not finished yet. I'll be back. My work's incomplete. And it will remain until Jesus returns. To this earth and the trumpet sounds in power and glory. I commend the significance of the napkin to you. Think of that picture. Think of that proclamation. And let this purpose come into your heart. If there's an ongoing work of salvation, then am I a Christian? Am I saved? Am I in Christ? Have I got peace with God? If not, why not? Is it just because your refusal? May the Lord give you understanding in these things.